Well, I'd like to invite you to Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, we invite you to take one of the, hopefully you can find a black Bible in front of you in one of the chairs, and you will find our passage on pages, either not, there's two Bibles, there's a thinner one and a thicker one, 917 is the thin one, and 976 is the thicker one, 917 or 976, that's Ephesians 2, and well, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to take that Bible and take it home with you, and we would, we'd love for you to have that as a gift from us. So are you guys ready for your Easter sermon? <laughs> it's, it's, it's the sermon that you're supposed to go home and have your Easter meal, and then you can talk about it, or maybe not. I hope you will. I hope at the very least there will be a few or one thing in this message that you will not get over. You will not get over. I want to ask you a question. I want to get a kind of a survey of those in this room. How many of you have ever either read the book, watched the musical or the movie of, depending on how you pronounce it, the movie or book or play or opera, Les Miserables? If you have, raise your hand. Nice and high. Okay. There's a lot of you that have. In this story, Jean Valjean, the great hero, doesn't start out as a great hero. He was a wretched convict. He was in an unrecoverable position in his society in early 1800s France. This novel by Victor Hugo tells the story, and you can watch it in Liam Neeson's story, or Hugh Jackman's musical, or read the book yourself. And in this story, Jean Valjean is in such a terrible situation as this, out, he was released from pr- prison, so he's, he is a convicted convict that's now released, but because of society, he can really have no redeemable future of any kind, and so he ends up at a bishop's house who's supposed to be very wealthy, but he turns up to be pretty, pretty humble and meek, and he, the bishop surprisingly lets him sit at his table, and he eats with him, and that night he sleeps in his own house, and he can't help himself, this Jean Valjean, this criminal condemned and unrecoverable And in the night, he goes and he steals the candlesticks and the silverware, and he escapes through the backyard, and he runs off, knowing that if he ever gets caught, he is in the slammer for life, and he does get caught, and he is returned to the bishop, and something happens at the beginning of this this great epic story that changes everything and is critical to the plot of the entire story. The bishop not only says... Doesn't, the bishop not only does not condemn him for stealing, he gives him the grace and freedom and gives him all that he had stolen, and purchases his life, redeeming and forgiving him. And he looks at him in an unforgettable moment and he says, Jean Valjean, I have bought your life. And he says, you are of the light and not the darkness now. He heard words that he never forgot, and it changed the entire story of his life. Words that he never got over. 
realities that he never got over. I wonder about you, what things have happened in your life that you have never gotten over? What events, what difficulties, what people, what happenings? For me, I have never gotten over, and I don't think I'll ever get over, meeting Molly Carlson, who's now my wife. <laughs> and, and my children will never get over the fact that I met them. <laughs> they wouldn't exist if I didn't meet her. Or when I saw my firstborn for the, for the first time, I was a dad. Something I, you don't get over. I don't think I'll ever get over the impact of my parents on me. For good and for bad, mostly good. I wonder what you would say. What, what has happened in your life? What people and events have happened that you will never get over? Could it be the loss of somebody in your life? Could it be the loss of a spouse or a parent? Could it be the painful experience, abuse or difficulty in your life? I wonder what you would say. It's relationship pain, maybe a mental illness, or maybe it's something pleasant. You were done. You were done. You were in a bad place, and you received grace, and everything turned around. You received forgiveness, a removal of a literal debt that was weighing you down, and now it's gone. Love when you did, did not deserve it. You see, on the day of the resurrection Easter, the disciples experienced an event. They saw with their eyes in the days afterwards, and they actually touched with their hands things that they would never get over. Easter is something that happened almost 2,000 years ago that the world will never recover from. It will never get over. And Easter Sunday which means the day in which Jesus got out of that tomb because he would not be held by death. He was raised from the dead by his father according to the scriptures for a spiritual purpose. Easter brings the good news that infil infiltrates that all things are going to change and there is hope and there is life and there is healing. Now, I realize in an audience this morning on Easter Sunday, I, I might be, I'm talking to multiple categories. I'm talking to some of you who are maturing Christians, who every, seem every week and every year, you're just growing and growing and growing. And then some of you truly believe and have truly been saved, and you're not growing, and you're not in a place where you need to be. And these things have kind of grown stale to you, and just kind of like they're just a ho-hum. And then there are some of you who say, I know I'm a Christian, but there's been no difference in your life. There's been no visible change. And there are some that would just be here honestly, and they would say, hey, I was invited. I'm glad I'm here. I'm, we're going to have Easter dinner afterwards, but I'm not a Christian. I'm not sure if I really believe these things. I don't, they, they haven't taken hold and control of my life, and I believe them with all my heart. That might be some of you, and we're really glad you're here. Now, who am I going to talk to this morning? I, I want to share some truths that we never get over, and I am talking to those who are truly Christians, who have been saved by God's grace, who can sing the songs we just sang here with, with all their heart or growing with all their heart. 
I'm, I'm talking to you about things that I want to remind you of things that happened, are happening, that you should never get over. And for those that have not been saved, are not sure if they're a Christian, I want you to listen in because I just, I want you to hear this. You can get in on this too. This is so good. Now, look with me at Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. I'm going to read them, and then I'm going to just take a few minutes, and I'm just going to pull out three things from this passage that you never get over if it's really happened to you. So Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10, you also can read on the screen behind me if you can see it. Paul the Apostle writes this to a Christian church. People that have been saved, rescued, are now following Christ. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince, the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of flesh, of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature, children of wrath, children destined for wrath, namely God's wrath, like the rest of humanity, mankind. And here's the shift. Four, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. These are God's words, and we praise him for that. So three things. Friends, faith church, believers, everyone listening in, three things we should never get over. Number one, our condition was far worse than we could ever imagine. And number two, God's work, God's work was far greater than we could ever imagine. And number three, our future is far brighter than we could ever imagine. These are truths that you don't like just, it doesn't do any good to just like know them with your head. And so this is, I pray the Holy Spirit will like show them to you, to your heart, so that you go, that changes how I look at all of the hard things that are in my life and the hard people. That changes how I spend my life and my time and my money and my efforts. That's how, that changes my habits and my entire life is reordered that's the kind of way I hope you will not get over these things. And so the first one that I want you to see here in this text is our condition was worse 
far worse than we could ever imagine. And we see that in verses 1 through 3 when he says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And and what he describes in verses 1 through 3 is the horrid, wretched, miserable condition that Christians were in prior to God saving them. This is, if you are a Christian today and could sing with all your heart the songs we just sang, like, it is well with my soul, this was your condition wholeheartedly, and it's worse than you could imagine. And he says our condition was a few, many things I could say, but I'm going to point out a few things. One, it was, it was dead. That's how he describes it. I mean, on an Easter Sunday, I want, to, I want us to bring this to, to life into our hearts. It was on Easter Sunday, there was a corpse in the grave, and, and, and the corpse came to life. The corpse was the body of Jesus Christ. And it came to life. And this passage says that our condition, we were dead. Not literally, but he means you were dead spiritually. And it was because of your sins and your trespasses, your violation of God's law. You didn't thank him like you ought to. You didn't praise him like you ought to. You did not acknowledge him like you ought to. Your life was you going your own direction and you didn't believe him. And you went and believed other things. And that was your condition. And you, because of that, you are dead spiritually. And what that means is you had no ability. You had no ability. A dead person has no ability to see, no ability to feel, to hear, to act and obey in a way that is please, spiritually is pleasing to God. And he says, that was how bad things were for you. You weren't just a victim in being dead. You jumped into that deadness. That's your condition. And he says, more than that, your condition was a condition of bondage. If you were to ponder through these verses, he says, you had three things going against you. Some of times we think about our bad, sinful, immoral, selfish, name the word, sinful behavior that you know is sin. You just know it's bad. So where does that badness come from? You might go, well, it's because the environment I'm around, I, all the TV I watch, or the porn I looked at. Or just the cruelty and the violences that in the world or the things that are going on in my school or that I experience from a painful experience from my parents. Well, yeah, your environment really brings you into that death. And he says, you were following the, the environment of the world and it just sucked you in. But it's more than that. You say... Could it be the devil working on you? He says here, you are following the prince of the power of the air. You are in bondage of another power coming at you and tempting you. And just like if you were to read the book of Genesis in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve were tempted by the devil and they were tempted to disbelieve that God really is good and that this book can be, that his word can be trusted And they went their own way, and they depended on themselves and other things. And he says here, you are following Satan. You were were afflicted by your environment, the world. And then he says, and you had badness inside you. He says in these verses, you were among whom you lived according to the passions of your flesh. And like the rest of my... You are by nature, you are following the desires of your own body and mind. Now, I grew up in a Christian home. 
I grew up going to church like eight times a week, it seemed like. <laughs> like maybe even more than that because I went to a Christian school and it was in a church. And we were constantly hearing. But I'll tell you what, when I reflect upon my childhood, I can see my selfishness continually coming up. My lust continually coming up. My greed continually coming up. Even though I looked good on the outside, inside my heart, I was bad, bad, bad. And I was just the way these verses described. And I bet all of you, if you've already been saved, you can reflect on for just a few minutes, not in order for you to stay down there and stew in these painful paths, but to remember where you've come from, and you can remember, boy, I escaped something so bad. These verses say, our condition was far worse than we could ever imagine, because among all these things, we could describe our badness, and he says, above all that, you are children, you are children of wrath like all the rest of mankind. What he means by that, you are children under God's condemnation where he was going to say, I condemn you, my wrath is going to come and I'm going to punish you eternally in torment, in hell forever because I am a holy judge, I must judge sin and I must be right and declare righteously and you are not righteous. That was our our reality. We just sang, no condemnation is mine, but it was here in our condition. I pray that all of us will remember and ponder and be aware, and if you're not a Christian, you will know that this is your condition. It is far worse than you could ever imagine. I would not be a good or faithful messenger of God to not tell you that, that you need being raised from the dead because you're dead. You need to be freed because you're in bondage to yourself, your own desires. You're in bondage to the Satan who wants to control you and help you believe lies. And you're in bondage to the environment of the world that's going to just control you and leave you empty. You see, the first point of that we must, not, why we must, why I linger on this for just a few minutes, and the reason why Paul will bring this up in this letter is not for us, is not because this is the main point. It's because if we don't let this hit us like we need to, the next parts will not be as glorious to our soul. You see, it's not, in t- it's only the person who understands something about how bad they were or are and how great God's anger and wrath against sin is. It is only those who can actually start to understand that reality that they can be, it's when they become mastered by God's mercy and his love and his kindness. Jesus did so many miracles like heal the blind to show us we were blind, to raise the dead, to show us that we were dead. He, did, he took paralyzed people and lifted them up and gave them life to show them that was our condition. He took the lame and he helped them to walk. We were that way spiritually in all of these things. He showed us the story of the Good Samaritan. We were like that 
man who was bloody on the side of the road, beaten up by robbers with nobody to pick us up. And, and his enemy, the Samaritan, comes and picks him up and heals him. And oh, so God has, God gives us, our condition was really bad. The second thing I want you to see, and this is the gospel, this is something that we, we jump too quickly to, and I want to jump to now, and that is, friends, oh, that we would know that God's work was far greater than we could ever imagine. Would you, would you look with me at verse 4? He says this, and you. He's, that's verse 1, and you, we all once were. But in verse 4, he says, but God, but God. Two of the most glorious words in the Bible, friends. The good news says, but God changes everything. If you're here this morning, I want you to hear that no matter how you feel about where you've been about yourself, in fact, it might be a good sign if you feel really bad about yourself this morning, that might be one of the greatest gifts that God could give to you because there's an answer, but God can change everything for you, not for your sake, but for his glory, and he's going to bring you into that glory, but God did something. And in verses four through the really this passage now, he's going to say God's work changed everything. There's a contrast. You were dead. Something happened here. What did God do? He saved us, it says. For by grace you have been saved. He delivered us from death. You were dead, but he made you alive together. He raised you up. You were of Satan and the world, and you were under the wrath of God. But instead of wrath, see the contrast? You, are, you have, he says... But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved you, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. What did he do? He made us alive spiritually. We talk that way. We sing that way. Because what God does when he saves us, he doesn't just give us a piece of paper and say, you're going to go to heaven someday, but you're not going to be you're going to just remain the same. He made us alive. We can sing with a type of joy. We can forgive with a type of meaning and purpose. We can endure suffering because of what he did. Now, why did he do this? This passage pours out the motives of God's great acting for us. God made you alive and saved you if you've been saved why? It says because of his mercy, but God being rich in mercy. He richly in mercy came and saw pitiful you and me. He saw us in, in contemptible state of corruption, unrepairable, and he pardoned us and had grace upon us and loved us. And it says, because of the great love with which he loved us. Oh, I, I just, I long for you to know that God loves you. But the thing is, I can tell you that, and you probably have heard it Sunday after Sunday, and I pray that the Holy Spirit will show you to your heart that he loves you. You who do, does not deserve that love, but Romans 5 says, but God showed his love towards you that while you were a sinner, Christ 
died for you. And it says that he saved you. Why? Because of his grace. This unmerited favor. You see what God did was he came and he took blind, spiritually blind people and he gave them sight. He raised spiritually paralyzed people and lame people who could not walk in the way of God and he changed that and he had compassion on those who were his enemies and he changed them and made them into family. How did he do this? It says he raised us up with in Christ. We sang about this on the Good Friday, and we sang about it this morning. It is well with my soul. Why? Because my sin it was, is, was keeping me from God and putting me under the wrath of God, but in, not in part, but the whole was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. You see what happened with while we were still weak and dead in our sins at the right time, Paul says, Christ died for the ungodly, not for the righteous. Your ungodliness doesn't keep you from Jesus dying for you. Your poor condition does not disqualify you from receiving what he says is the free gift of God's grace. Now, I know that most of you know this. Know this. Are you living in a way in which you haven't gotten over it? We could ask the question, okay, God did something greater than I could ever imagine. Who is this for? And the answer of when we read the Easter story in chapter 20 of John, the answer through this book, the Bible, is it is for all wicked sinners who come to realize they can't, and they now see that God offers a gift, and God can take it for, can save them, and they receive this gift. They receive it as though it is actually theirs, and it has been offered to them, and they believe. All who believe, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, now, that can be a tricky word because many of us could say, I, I believe these things. I believe in the story of the resurrection. I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe things about Christianity. But the question of whether you've been believed in being saved to unbeing saved is, have you fully trusted him in such a way that it now takes all of your heart. You surrendered to him. You've looked to him. You know that he is your only way. He is your only satisfaction. He is your only hope. And he is indeed, and you believe it with all your heart because he has done it for you. Oh, I hope that we as Christians will be impacted by the reality that God's love for us is and work for us is far greater than we could ever imagine. But 
this passage ends, at least I want to end it with saying the third thing that should, should impact us, should change us, should, we should never get over, and that is this. Friends, our future is brighter than we could ever imagine. There is no room for pessimism for those that are in Christ Jesus because of what God has done for us. Would you look with me at verse 7 of Ephesians 2? He says he's done all of these things, God's great act of work when we were in a bad place, verse 7, so that in the coming ages, God might show the immeasurable riches of grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. But do you see verse 7? God saved you and me, Christian. He saved you and me in order for the rest of our life and for eternity for God amazingly to show his, the riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That is something that we should never, ever get over. This afternoon, God intends to show his grace in his, the riches of his grace and kindness. He intends to do that through the hard things in your life and through the great things. And what he says in the coming ages, I think he means the rest of your life until you die. And then when you die, he, if you're a Christian, he brings you to himself. And someday he'll raise you from the dead when he returns. And forever... He is going to show, he is going to put on display the layers upon layers of God's riches of grace, where in the contrast of we didn't deserve any of it, in fact, we left to ourselves would have run the other way, we would have chosen another direction, he came in and, and raised us and said, believe, and we believed, and see beauty, and we saw Jesus as truly beautiful, and we saw, we asked for forgiveness of sins because he was working in our hearts. All of these things, he's going to show for the rest of eternity how glorious his grace is by lavishing kindness upon us, upon kindness, upon kindness, and he says the immeasurable riches of his grace. Friends, Our hope for the future is so incredible. It is immeasurable to know how great it's going to be. A couple months ago, we were studying this passage of Scripture on a Wednesday night. And we were talking about this passage. And one of you, Roy, actually pointed this out. And I I just want to give you this idea, this picture of immeasurable riches of God's grace. Measurements. Think about measurements for a minute. How might we, to our eye, be able to visibly measure and assess how much a a trillion dollars is? Now, I've been told on the authority of somebody else, Roy, uh, (laughs) so I hope he's right, that if you take, I'm not sure if he ever did this, but if you take a $100 bill and you stacked it seven feet high, I'd be about like here, and you covered more than a football field, there's a trillion dollars. That's a lot of dollars. That's a lot of money. A whole football field. $100 bills stacked all the way. That, we can measure a trillion dollars. The moon, they say, is about 240 
thousand miles away. It takes us about three days to get there. We can measure that distance. Um, the closest galaxy that can barely be seen by the human eye at certain times, and definitely with the telescope, the distance between Earth and that galaxy is, imagine this, 2.5 million light years away, which means that if you could travel at the speed of light, which you can't, but 186,000 miles, not per hour, but per second, it would take you 2.5 million years to get there at that speed. We can measure the galaxy. Friends, we cannot measure the riches of grace in kindness towards those who are in Christ Jesus. And God wants us to take our imagination. We can't do this without our imagination. He gave it to us. is to start pondering that in the midst of my life, that I who did not deserve any of this, God, day after day, hour after hour, second after second, is working because he's given us different promises. Promises like, if you're my child, I will work all things for your good. And your good is not so that you can be happy with, on your own terms in the short run. It's, I'm a lot wiser than that. I'm a father to you. And I'm going to make you the type of person to glorify me and to become like me so that you can enjoy all that I really meant for you to enjoy. Not just a few short years. I mean, the days of our lives, the days of our lives on this earth could be, this is just, this doesn't even fit because it's even greater than this, but just to imagine would be like, I came from Nevada last week, I imagine me bringing one grain of sand back from Nevada desert, and I plopped it down here and I said, that's your life, and imagine all the sand on the rest of this earth, that, that's eternity. And God intends to the rest of eternity to show the immeasurable wealth and riches of his grace, of his showing us favor and love when we deserved the opposite, and kindness upon kindness forever. I think it will take forever for him to show that kindness because he is infinite, there's no measurement on God, and it would take forever for us to see all of the layers and capacity of his kindness upon us. Now, with that in mind, those kinds of truths that are layered and traced throughout this book about God's promises to his people, it is meant to shape us so that we don't forget it and we never get over it. And then we come Sunday by Sunday, and we meet with each other throughout the week, and we remind each other, remember these truths. They shape us, and we never are meant to get over it. Let's, let's remember this. Because everything else, when you walk out of this building today, you head for your meals, you head to wherever you are, it'll be so easy to start to think that's real, and this isn't real. This is real. All of that, and the world wants you to, to forget it. This is all that matters our condition was far worse than we could ever imagine. 
And yet God's work was far greater than we could imagine in Christ Jesus our Lord. And our future is brighter than we could ever, ever imagine. So how should... How should this make us respond as a people? And again, I'm speaking to those who are Christians. With those that are not Christians, say, listening listening in because there's there's something really for you, really important. But I would say, Faith Church, I wanted to speak to you real quickly. These things that we should never get over, they need to make us different day by day, okay? we We need to lean in them, ponder them, Never forget them and dig them out of our lives and apply them, and they should make us love God more. God is bigger than all the things that we once thought were really big and important, and they should cause us to worship. We should be the the most singing people in the world that know these truths because When we sing, it is well with my soul, or and can it be, or the song we're going to sing in just a couple minutes, Christ our hope in life and death, we should sing it with zeal and energy, even if we can't sing a lick, because he has put this in our heart. And and oh boy, this should make us forgiving people. When people hurt you, they can't hurt you near as much as God has loved you in the positive You were such a bad place, and he forgave you everything. And so it hurts the way they treated you. The abuse, the pain, the suffering, the words spoken, the betrayal. But you can forgive because he has forgiven you and loves you. And you can love others. You can give generously even to the point where it hurts because God has got you and your future is better than you could ever imagine. You can afford to take the loss because he's got you. It means that we need to love others, Faith Church, to say that our neighbors and our friends and our family and our children that we're raising and our grandchildren that we care for, there is nothing more important that they are gripped by these truths, that their condition is bad, but God's work is great and their future can be glorious in Christ. It must change us. And not just one day a week or one day a year, but all the days of our lives growing and helping each other. And I just want to say, and it should make us endure the hard things of this life. When I say our future is incredibly bright, that doesn't mean that you and I aren't going to walk through some of the deepest valleys and trials and afflictions of loss of spouse, betrayal of people, dealing with persecutions and sufferings and cancer and painful death or painful losses. Or we could just summarize it, difficult people in difficult circumstances. But all of those things are to be seen through the lenses of a God who says, I have raised you up and I have made you with my son a recipient of my never-ending kindness that even that all your trials will someday end they'll always be used by God and they have a purpose now 
I want to conclude by this. I, I was driving last summer on vacation. I just remember, this is so vivid. I was going on vacation to Florida with our family, and I was listening to some podcasts and then some sermons from another church. I'd, I'd never caught this church. as a church in Nashville. It's called Emmanuel Church. And I was listening to some of these sermons, and I listened to this sermon, and the pastor, he was actually retiring, and somebody else was taking over the church, and he was talking about their churches. He called it their church mantra, the Emmanuel mantra, he called it. Their church was Emmanuel. And he says, remember the Emmanuel mantra. What he meant by that is there's like this motto, this slogan that we as a church tell ourselves and remind ourselves all the time. And I went, boy, that's strange, and I like it. And it was this. It was these three phrases. I'm a complete idiot. A what? I'm a comp- he says, I'm a complete idiot. My future's incredibly bright. And anyone can get in on this. I am left to myself. There is nothing that I can recommend to God and say, see, God, that's impressive. Nothing. I, spiritually, I run after things that will destroy me, and God said, I love you, and I'm going to pull you from that. That keeps me grounded to go, I can't ever brag about myself. Anything I do good, I just give God the praise, because in myself, I am a complete idiot. But my future is incredibly bright. Why? Because Jesus has come into my life. He's raised me up together with him, with Christ, and he is going to show his immeasurable riches of grace and kindness in Christ Jesus. And if I could get that, if I could get rescued that way, I, an imbecile, I spiritually running the wrong way, then anybody could get in on that. You can get in on that. You can get in on the life, eternity-shaping truths that come And do an earthquake on your soul, changing the terrain of everything that goes on in your life. Where all your values reshift to what they were meant to, to know and enjoy God through Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. And I'm going to ask you to bow your head and, and, and pray with me for a minute here. I said, anyone can get in on this. And to get in on this, you must acknowledge that your sinful condition and your guilt before God is real, and you know it. And you tell him that, and you must confess to him and make no excuses. And if you ask God to forgive you based on what Jesus did, the gift he offers, and it's because you believe that all this is true and that you're trusting him now to save you, can say, friend, he will save you. On Good Friday, there was a little boy, his mom told me about this, a little boy that was singing in the service about the cross on Good Friday, this two days, three days ago. And he whispered over to mom and says, mom, how do I receive Jesus? And mom said, you, you receive him by believing, but we'll talk about it this after. This would be a wonderful thing to talk, but it's loud here. And he said, okay. They kept singing. After the song, he looked at her and he said, Mom, I've received Jesus. I believe him with all my heart. He did it right there in the service, and you can do that right now too. So God, I pray that you would help us to never, ever get over these things.
I, I pray that you would help us to not only get over, not get over them, but I pray that we would grow in our spiritual imagination to ponder our condition, your work, and our future so that it changes the rest of our lives. And so for that to happen, though, it's called faith, and it's your Holy Spirit work in us, and I pray that you'd grow faith in this church. Father, thank you that Christ is our only hope in life and death that we are not our own, but we belong both in body and soul, both in life and death to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all our sins with his precious blood, and he has also frees us from the power of the devil. He also assures us that we will, we will forever have him working for our good. And so, God, would you please send us off as we finish this service with a song of faith and of worship in Jesus' name. Amen.